and Ben's got a lovely image, a jog our mind. This is where we're at, guys. <laughs> this is the central sort of topic to the first part of this chunk of the letter. Circumcision. We need to sort of get our heads around it in order to understand Paul. What's he really getting at? God says to Abraham, to his descendants, he says, I will establish my covenant with you. This is in Genesis 17. As an everlasting covenant. You know, he says, you'll be fruitful, you'll have descendants, um, you're going to be a blesser, so you're going to be blessed, so that you're going to be a blessing. Um, and, but there's this catch. You have to undergo circumcision. And it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. So God establishes the covenant and Israel accord to uh, respond in faith. To respond in faith by this, um, this sign of circumcision. And this is a sign that they belong to the covenant community, the community that God had established. And what's Paul getting at then when he says these, these mutilators of the flesh? Um, there's this crowd that are still insisting that people that are joining this covenant community um, need to undergo this ritual in order to become part of it, right? And, and you could say, well, maybe that's just not such a big deal. Perhaps it was for individual men at the time. But maybe just carry on that tradition. That's fine. We've been doing it. Um, what's really wrong with it? Why not just carry it on? But Paul is really adamant. This is He's using such strong language, isn't he? As he kicks off this bit. What's he really getting at? I think there's two things he's trying to um, explain um, and, and, and is behind what he's saying. And, and we need to get our heads around it in order to really understand what it means for them and then what it would mean for us. So the first is, there's God's faithfulness and there's Israel's response, but they had reduced God's faithfulness. Um, if you go to the next slide, Ben. So you, they've put so much emphasis on their response and not on God's, God's creation of the covenant. They're much more interested in what they need to do in order to become part of this covenant community and far less interested in actually the God who creates the covenant community in the first place. So that's the first one. There's two distortions. The second distortion is that they've reduced the next slide. They've sort of got rid of this idea that they need to live by faith in covenant obedience to God to have this relationship with God. And they've reduced that right down to this act. And Paul, the words he uses, basically just trying to compare it to like a pagan ritual. He's like, it's just become this, this act, this thing you do. Um, so there's two things, right? The first is that they're no longer um, dwelling and meditating on God's faithfulness to them in terms of creating this covenant uh, community. And the second thing is they're not, no longer focusing on, on their role to be obedient, to actually live in faith, in obedience, uh, and be in this covenant community. In fact, they've just forgotten about the lifestyle that they're called to, and actually they've just uh, focused on this this one act. If you do this, you'll be in. Hopefully that makes sense. And Paul, he wants to set them straight, doesn't he? And he says, look, I've got ample reason. What does he say? He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was circumcised on the eighth day, which you're meant to be 
Um, I'm a Pharisee. I persecuted the church. As I, I'm zealous. I'm righteous. I've got loads of things to point at for for me. What I've do, what I'm doing, um, to make myself get into this community. So I'm saying, look, I could do all of that. But for him, all these things are worthless. What does he say? They're garbage, doesn't he? I consider everything a loss. And then he used the word garbage because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. All these things, all those things, those acts that I could lean on, like circumcision, I consider them garbage compared to knowing Christ. And he jumps into that. Not putting confidence in what he calls the flesh. Elsewhere he calls it the law. He calls it the things that we might do to make ourselves into this community. Not putting confidence in those things, but instead striving to know Christ. That's the goal that he's pushing on towards. And for Paul, he looks at the whole thing, his Jewish faith, through the lens of Christ and Christ's faithfulness. And this links to that, that hymn in chapter 2, when it, when it says, Christ was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so when he's saying, I don't have a righteousness, that in verse 9, that comes from myself, from the way I've kept the law, um, he says, actually, I've got a faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And I found it really interesting because there's a bit in there and it can be translated in two different ways. And both of them are sort of in view. And if you look in your Bibles, you've probably got a little footnote at the bottom. Um, and, and, it, and it says, our faith in Christ, or it can be translated, the faithfulness of Christ. And loads of people argue that actually that's the one that's mainly in view here. The faithfulness of Christ. So if we return to that sort of pairing we had before, Paul sees it like this. God's faithfulness is most clearly seen in the humility, the obedience, the death of Christ. That's that bit from that hymn, right, in, the, in chapter 2. But then we have a response to participate by faith in, in his suffering. In verse 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him. It almost means like sharing in the form and the pattern of his life, his obedience, his death. I want to become like him and so somehow to attain resurrection of the dead. This is what it means. This is the goal Paul is striving for, to know Christ, to live a life like Christ lived. And we've said that Christ humbles himself and he's obedient to death. And if you've been around here a little while, you know we have four values that we want to live by, four common life values. And one of them is the descending life that springs from this hymn. It's a call to live in such a way that we're obedient in the same way that Christ is. So we participate by faith in his suffering. We live the life that he lived. And I wanted to say that. It's, it's costly, isn't it? We, it's easy to just say, oh yeah, we live a descending life. But actually, we need, we're called to participate by faith in that life. And for us to be 
generous with our time and with our energy and with our money and with our resources and to put others first, to serve others before ourselves is costly. And, and, it, and it requires faith of us. And that's, and that's how we begin to participate in God. So Christ's faithfulness creates this covenant community. In response, we put our faith in him and we enter into that community. That's the way Paul now sees it. And, and where's, if we go to that one where we've crossed it out, Ben, where have they gone wrong? Let's do a little recap. They, uh, they underemphasize God's faithfulness. And then they almost trivialize their role, right? The thing they were called to do. And I wanted us to just place ourselves in that. What does it look like for us to do that? To, to overemphasize our role, if you like, at the expense of God's role. To forget God's faithfulness. And I think it probably looks like us... Yeah, forgetting that God creates this community and God invites us into it. God creates relationship with us through Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, and invites us into it. Um, the risk is that we then forget the fact that we're forgiven by God. We forget God's grace. We forget that God initiates and we then respond and we end up thinking, actually, it's all about what I do. And then when we mess up and we don't do what we feel ought to be our response, we can so easily, um, in our guilt, create distance between us and God when we forget that actually God moves first. God is faithful to us. There's such a challenge here, I felt, to, to know that Elsewhere, Paul says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He says, draw near with faith. Know that God loves you and made the first move. Christ came and was faithful first. We can end up sort of striving and forgetting the goal. Our goal is to know Christ. And we can end up striving to, to do better, to be uh, to get busy in church and to fulfill a certain role that we think will get us back to God. But our goal is to know Christ. And then the other, the other one, the second one, is that we can end up uh, trivializing it. And we can, um, we can lower the bar, if you like, where, where we're called into participating by faith in God's suffering, living the life that Christ has lived, we can end up reducing it, not to circumcision, probably, but to something else. Um, we can end up, uh, I guess, just losing sight of the fact that we're called to respond. And we can end up trivializing the call on our lives to follow and to live the life that Christ lived. So there's these two, I think, traps that we can end up falling into. And, and Paul corrects them both because he says, let's live up to what we've already attained. There's this, there's this pairing. He says, I press on to take hold of what Christ took hold of me for. I take hold of what Christ took hold of me for. And, and earlier he says, I, I encourage you to work out your salvation as God works in you. 
Do you see that? There's this pair constantly. And as Christians, we're called to cooperate with grace, aren't we? There's, this, there's a calling on us to receive grace, but to cooperate with it, to live in light of it. And there's a quote from uh, Dallas Willard that's so helpful here, that grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. And these folks, these people he's annoyed at, um, they've got this attitude that they could earn their salvation by what they did, this ritual that they're holding on to. They've forgotten that God first did a work. God was faithful first. But they've also trivialized the cost of their salvation. They've forgotten that they are called to put effort in. Grace is not opposed to effort. There's an, our response is is an effort, is to, is to intentionally live a life that's modeled after Christ, the descending life. And then the last idea is, is that we're called to be citizens of heaven. I just want to share a quick story. I found myself uh, in second year of uni. Um, I, I did a trip to India. I was doing civil engineering in, a, in another life. And I did a trip to India with Engineers Without Borders. And uh, we were meant to go and teach in schools, which is, you know, in hindsight, a daft idea because they were all better at engineering than we were and we didn't speak their language. So I don't know what we thought we were up to. But we had a go and I learned a lot personally. And, but there are two things, two memories that I felt are relevant here that just really stuck out and, and just like a bit silly and funny, but hopefully help us to remember. One is me walking through a field with an English teacher and I've got to the end of this lunch that we bought and it's in a silver foil packet. And I'm like looking around quite a big open playing field and saying, well, where shall I put this? There's no bin. Do you know where the nearest bin is? And he was like, oh, just chuck it. And he's like, I'll just chuck it in the hedge. And he literally grabbed it out of my hand, chucked it in the hedge. And I was like, okay, that's a different way of doing things. And, and there's the other thing that happened repeatedly. I was there for 10 weeks. There's a good stint. And um, repeatedly, you'd, you'd go to loads of different people's houses. So they were so hospitable to us. Uh, and each time you went, you'd receive, you know, as you would in the UK, you'd receive a snack, a drink and a snack. And I, used, I was pretty good at saying thank you. I've been brought up to say the please and thank yous well. And um, thank you, thanks for a drink. Yes, please, thank you for order. And I realized that basically this was in conflict with the, what they expected me to do. And they were like, well, stop. There was a point where one of the people who was hosting me and this other lady said, stop saying thank you. And they basically considered it rude. Stop saying thank you. And they said, you wouldn't say thank you to your own mum, would you? And in my head, I was like, I think I probably would to say thank you to my own mum. But what was going on here? I was operating out of values that were just so natural to me. They were the water that I swam in, right? That I was just so used to probably putting a f in a public space looking for the nearest bin, right? For a foil packet. For saying thank you when someone had made me a cup of tea or whatever it was. And don't hear me wrong, I'm not... Um, trying to uh, slight the culture of the people that had hosted us at all. But I'm trying to point out that uh, I, what I took as assumed was something completely different because um, uh, I had just grown up swimming in different waters. And so there's this idea of being citizens in heaven. 
And this is where Paul lands his whole thought process. Um, and trying to do this quickly, there's, a, there's basically a word that gets used, politeo, which, which is like, if, if you're at home and you're in amongst people like you in your community and your culture, the way that you would act was for the benefit of the, the community, the whole community. If you were removed from that culture in a different place, so the Jewish diaspora at that time was a good example, the Jews scattered everywhere, that word would have meant living in a way that there's two things. You are committed to the ideals, the ethos, and the honor of your origin community. So you're here, you're in another place, but you're committed to the way that the waters that you've swum in, if you like, the ideals um, and the ethos and the way of doing things that's from your home culture. But you're also resistant to conforming to the culture of what was around you. Um, and my examples are, are trivial, aren't they? I, you know, I just got used to it and started chucking things everywhere and went home and was really rude to my mum. <laughs> but um, Paul's point is to live a life worthy of the gospel, which he talks about in, one to, in chapter 1, is, is to live a life in contrast to the Roman colony of Philippi, the, the culture that um, they were embedded in. And, and to live a life where the, uh, the ethos and the values were shaped by that of heaven. That was the culture that you carried. Um, and, and it's linked to the previous idea, isn't it? Because it's like what has already been obtained, you've been included in this covenant community but you're called to live up to it. You're called to live up to um, that, commu- the, that inclusion, if you like, and to live over here in such a way that reflects your membership of that community. You've been included, but you're called to live up to your inclusion, to represent heaven on earth. And um, the whole idea of heaven is just good for us to know. We often think of that, don't we? Think of heaven, a place we're going to escape to. Paul, Paul's mind, he's thinking of a, of a transcendent place, a place where Jesus reigns as king. Heaven is where Jesus reigns as king. So what does it look like for us to know Christ as Lord, to participate in him, to submit to his lordship? It looks like being committed um, to the ideals, the ethos, the honor of heaven. A place where Jesus Christ reigns as Lord, to know Christ. And it looks like resisting to conforming in, to the culture where, you know, where that is contrasted to the ideals and the ethos of heaven. Jesus says, doesn't he, like, be, let's be salt and light. Don't lose your saltiness. Don't put your light under a bowl. Yeah, and I wanted to land again by just reiterating that to live a life modeled after Christ only actually really makes sense if the resurrected, if Jesus Christ is the resurrected and reigning king. It requires faith, doesn't it? To live that sort of life, to be generous, to... um, to, to persevere, to be compassionate, to choose to believe that the world around us, when it's in contrast to what we see in, in the picture of the kingdom of God that Jesus laid out, 
isn't the way things will always be. The world to have hope that things will change. All of that requires faith. And that's our role in, in responding. To know that Christ was first faithful in including us in that covenant community. But we're called to respond with faith. To live a life that's modeled after Christ's love. To participate in Christ. To know Christ. Hopefully that makes sense. Chapter 3 of Philippians. Why don't we stand? Let's just have a moment to let... It's just a load of content, isn't it? But, um, let's let that sink in.